You want you want to you want to talk about the vanishing wilderness? Louis, listen. Why are you so anxious about this? Because they're building a dam across the Kahulawasi River. They're going to flood a whole valley, Bobby. That's why. Damn it! They're drowning the river. They're drowning the river, man. All right. Drowning. All right. Just about to let. All right. We're talking to you. All right. Just about the last wild, untamed, unpolluted, unfucked up river in the South. Don't you understand what I'm saying? We understand what you're saying. They're going to the river up. There ain't going to be no more river. All it's right. just going to be a big... Watch progress. progress. That's shit. It's a very clean way of making electric power. And those lakes up there provide a lot of people with recreation. I don't give a shit. My father-in-law has a houseboat boat over on, on, on Lake Bowie. Oh, that's a nice place to live. <laughs> you, you just push a little more power. You push a little more power into Atlanta, a little more air conditioners for your smug little suburb, and you know what's going to happen? We're going to rape this whole goddamn landscape. We're going to rape it. Oh, Lewis, my... That's an extreme point of view, Lewis. It is. An extremist. Roll sound, Scotty. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! the stinking paws podcast celebrating our 10th anniversary and it's one of those special episodes where we've invited guests back onto the show to go back and select movies that we've reviewed previously over the last 10 years there's a bit of a theme running through some of these you'll find out as we get further into the year and for the purposes of tonight's entertainment, I've asked our dear friend, it's the host of Film Gold, Glass Onion on John Lennon and Life and Life Only. It's our good friend, Anthony. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Back again. How many coll- how many collaborations have we done now? We're just racking uh, up. What, for the 10th anniversary? Or just in general, we must have done 20 or 30 now, haven't we? Yeah, it's, it's been a while over the last four or five years, like quite a few now, mate. So. Yeah. It's becoming a regular habit and a very pleasant one, mate. And I'm very mm. pleased to say you have chosen a film. Um, I just looked back to when we first reviewed it. It was September 2014. Ooh. So it was right near the beginning. You know, it's only about nine years old, eight and a half years old since we reviewed it. I'm pretty sure I haven't watched it since wow. our original review. But we reviewed it with guests back then as well. Mm. So um, it's just a, a two-hander, this one, just me and you. It's delivered. Mm. 1972. Now, if you hadn't have selected this, I would have picked it somewhere along the line, mate, because I would desperately want to go back to what. Before we go, why, why have you obviously loved the movie? Oof. Yeah, I mean, I should tell you, it's, it's it places at number 11 on my flick chart out of 1,520-something. <laughs> so it's a big favourite. Um, I don't know. I mean, 
We, we always have to mention Easy Riders Raging Bulls, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, this yeah. is just planted. Although it's actually kind of a traditional story at the same... Well, it's not really, is it? It's a... It could be. A traditional it's a tradi- No, it's not a traditional, yeah. That's a rewind. Can we rewind that? <laughs> yes. Um, no, it's... Um, it's another one I saw as a kid. I, I always have to credit my dad. It's not that my dad necessarily kind of turned me on to Taxi Driver and Deliverance and all this. He just didn't stop me watching. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't Do you remember think... how old you were, by the way, because I've got a story about that as well. How oh, old were you? Oh, uh, I wouldn't know exactly. Probably only about 14 or 15. I don't think this was a movie drone. It wasn't a movie drone, but it was in that kind of... I always credit Movie Drone for just expanding my interests, and it was yeah. somewhere somewhere around there, 14, 15, yeah. And I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen it. Again, as with so many of the ones we've reviewed, I watched it to death at the time, but then I haven't mm. seen it too many times since then. So I know it very well, but then watching it, you, you know, I love all the director commentaries and everything. It's, a, mm. it's almost like a whole different experience watching it with the director guiding you. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't gone that deep into it this time because mm. there's such a gap between my last viewing and this that I just wanted to cherish watching it once again as it's, you know, intended yeah. to be seen. Yeah. I did a little bit of a check. Remember I introduced you to the BBC Genome site where you can go back through old TV listings and stuff like that? Yeah, I've been looking at that, yes, yes. Yeah, and I thought, right, when was it? premiered you know on the bbc so i remember it being on bbc and it was much later than i thought i think i found out it was a sunday evening in late 1985 yeah so i would have been 16 and it was in that sunday evening slot that movie yeah. drone traditionally took but they were doing a burt reynolds season on right, sunday right. evenings at the time and i'm pretty sure i must have seen it but my memory is telling me i watched it when i was 11 12 you know that sort of age. Mm. Which sort of shocked me in a while because because I honestly thought this movie had been with me a lot longer and I'd seen mm. it far too young. Watching it at say sixteen as I probably was, not a bad age to watch it. You know, it's probably a little bit too young if you know there are people out there that believe in that sort of thing. But mm. for me and and you, when we were on this journey of discovery of what makes mm. a great movie, possibly the right age to have a little look and, and make our own mind up. And mm. I was just totally as you say as well, in awe of the movie. And I think I recorded it. I may have recorded it on its second run. I definitely bought the video when it came out and watched it and watched it and watched it. Deservedly a classic. We've got a lot to talk about. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And we're not going to dwell too heavily on the two scenes. Mm. Most people tend to like, this is the thing when I've mentioned, we've been doing it. Everybody has gone, Oh, either Julian Banjos or Squirrel yeah. Like a Pig. Yeah. Everybody. Nobody has mentioned any of the other wonderful stuff yeah. that we've seen and we desperately need to talk about. Right? Can I just say one thing about that? This is yeah. a little bit of a moan. <laughs> Squirrel Like a Pig, it's the equivalent of Elvis dying on the toilet. Mm-hmm. When people think of Elvis, you know, not, I don't want to speak for the masses because we don't know who they are, but yeah. people will say, oh, Elvis, yeah, he died on the toilet. And it's a <laughs> bit like that. It's reducing what I think is just an unbelievably good filmic achievement down yeah. to that. And it's just it's just something that happens, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. But we are going to mention them because they are a vital point of the story. Yeah. But there is so much more to this. What we're going to do, there's a wonderful trailer out there. Very 70s. Let's play that now. We'll be back after this. 
Floyd City, boy. We'll find it. It ain't nothing but the biggest river in the state. These are the men. Nothing very unusual about them. Suburban guys like you or your neighbor. Nothing very unusual about them until they decided to spend one weekend canoeing down the Kahulawasi River. Ed Gentry, he runs an art service. Wife Martha has a boy, Dee. Lewis Medlock has real estate interests, talks about resettling in New Zealand or Uruguay. Drew Ballinger, he's sales supervisor for a soft drink company. Bobby Tripp, bachelor, insurance and mutual funds. Will you go in? All right, I'm looking. These are the men who decided not to play golf that weekend. Instead, they sought the river. We're watching us right now. We ain't gonna be so nice and hard to follow dragging a corpse. film of James Dickey's explosive best-selling novel. Deliverance, released in the UK 1972, directed by John Borman, written by James Dickey and screenplay by John Borman, starring John Voight, Burt Reynolds, Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox, the four main leads here, although the supporting cast are definitely going to get a mention at some point. Mm. The synopsis for those of you that haven't seen it. Deliverance remains one of the screen's most powerful man versus nature adventures and was a motion picture shocker of the 1970s. Shock is a good way of describing it, actually, rather mm. than horror, yes. Mm. It's the story of four Atlanta weekend warriors who set off in canoes down a dangerous Georgia river and discover a wilderness of terror. Directed by John Borman in 1972 and adapted by James Dickey from his novel, Deliverance was nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. Burt Reynolds, John Voight, Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox star as the four friends whose canoeing weekend turns into a horrifying test of survival. Borman's taut direction builds the tension and fear to a raging climax as the men travel way beyond their comfort zone and are forced to face more than they could ever have imagined. Vilmos Zygmunt's expert cinematography captures the wilderness of forest and river, 
while Eric Weisberg's classical musical theme, Dueling Banjos, provides a perfect counterpoint to the action. Do you know what you've just done? You've just summarised my eight pages of notes in about three lines. I've got nothing to say now. That's Uh, a good starting point for you to build on there, my friend. That's what we're (laughs) going to do. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's a very good good synopsis. Do you know where I got that from? It's the synopsis from the DVD review on Amazon. No, no, I won't take credit. Mm-hmm. Normally the IMDb <laughs> ones are so shit we have to find alternatives. And that was a little one that jumped out on me earlier today. Mm-hmm. One of my uh, just before you carry on, one of my trivia questions, I mean you will you will obviously know what beat this for best picture, right? It's, it's with your favourite, your man, isn't it? Um, My man. Yeah. It's Godfather, isn't it? Seventy-two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But weirdly enough, I always thought Coppola won for director, but he didn't. It was Bob Fosse for Cabaret, and the editing also won for Cabaret. So this lost two to Cabaret and one to Godfather, which is quite interesting. Do you know the other Godfather connection to this movie? Oh, go on. Uh, let me think. No, <laughs> I don't. Bert, Bert Reynolds was originally considered for the role of Sonny. I thought it was Michael. No, I'm pretty sure it's Sonny. It should be Sonny. It can't yeah. be Corleone. And I think Brando pretty much said he would refuse to do the movie if, if Reynolds was cast. Absolutely. Well, when we get to casting, I don't want to give too much away, but yep. uh, Brando does figure there. <laughs> oh, right. oh, okay. Uh, oh, well, 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 Bert, well, Bert Reynolds was uh, also um, considered for Rocky, wasn't he, four years later? So we can't take all these casting choices. That's true, that's true. Yeah, it was only Stallone that stuck to his guns, wasn't it? That would have been quite amusing, wouldn't it? So, initial thoughts and and feedback on this viewing, mate, because you you haven't watched it for a little while. Do you actually watch it with the commentary? You've only watched it once this time with a commentary version, not just as it stands, yeah? Yes, my modus operandi, being mm-hmm. a professional uh, professional podcaster, professional <laughs> professional without the money, that is, of course, <laughs> yeah. as, you, as you are as well. Professional. Absolutely. Um, no, uh, I, what I do, I mean, when it's a film that I already know, and I know this film very well, Yeah. I, uh, I watch the director commentary, obviously, if there is one, but I have the subtitles of the film going, so it's a mm. bit of a double whammy. I can kind of follow the film. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is that with... If you ever watch something with subtitles, um, uh, I used to have a Japanese girlfriend, just by the way. It was around the time when DVDs were first coming out. When you watch something with subtitles, even though you wouldn't normally because, you know, you speak English, mm. it does change it a little bit. You you focus a bit more on it, you know, when they're up there on the screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it was a nice viewing. And John Borman... You know, he had loads of good stories and stuff. And I'm, was... I'm imagining the actual dialogue itself. It wasn't particularly dialogue heavy until mm. the first mountain man gets killed because there's this... I want mm. to talk about that scene afterwards. Yes. There's more to that scene and that whole dialogue that goes on between the four of them after they rescue John Voight. Yes. Um, that really stuck out for me. And I'm thinking, right, so that's a perfect example of the screenwriting there mm. because the rest of it is lots of shouting and screaming and, and, and general sort of commentary. But mm. that really stood out as, as part of the screenplay this time for. Now, there was a line I really liked. Um, mm. There's a couple of lines uh, from Lewis about Reynolds. Sometimes you have to lose yourself before you can find anything. Oh, does that sound a bit too cheesy, though? And I'm really a bit on the nose, a bit on the nose, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. But the one I the one I really liked was um you know the opening scene, so you see them driving and you can hear them talking. You can't it starts see. off with Bert's, Bert Reynolds' famous laugh. 
doesn't it? As they're driving along, you probably didn't hear it if you had the commentary go, but you oh, know maybe. that classic Burt Reynolds laugh. He's laughing as they're driving along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's talking about the damming of the river. Yes. And uh, very interesting. He talks about the river being raped. Bit of foreshadowing. Oh, there. yes, I did catch that. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. I, the line I love, he says to the others, "Don't worry, I'll have you back in your nice suburban house in time to see the football on Sunday afternoon." Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned off air about the four characters mm. potentially being four facets to James Dickey's mm. character. Now, thinking on what you just threw at me when the mm. mics were switched off. Mm. So I'm assuming like Burt Reynolds is the adventurer, the one, yes. you know, taking all the risks. You're going to have to correct me on this because this is just me thinking out loud here. Yeah. John Voet is going along for the ride because he's curious. He's a, he's the settled family man. Mm. But at the same time, he doesn't want to lose the friendship that he's got with these other guys. And he's still just a bit intrigued. And the other two out there for the romance and the adventure. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, this is not mm. something I would have come up with at all. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis is the, the macho man. Ed, yeah. the funny thing is Dickie, uh, I'd like to talk about Dickie in a bit, if you don't mm-hmm. mind. Dickie was an ad executive. And in the novel, which I haven't read, which I really would like to. Yeah. Ed, the John Voight character, is an ad executive. Right. So that's the link. And Drew is obviously a guitarist. And I think apparently that's the artistic side of James Dickey because he's a writer. It wasn't really oh. clear what the Bobby, the Ned Beatty, it says here, yeah. I've got here aggressive and cowardly. I don't think those are my, my words, but yeah. yeah, I don't think that part was clear. But James oh, Dickey it's... was just an incredible. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't describe Ned Beatty's character as either aggressive or cowardly yeah i mean those are their words you know he's yeah. not really cowardly is he i'd say he's more kind of smug isn't he? he's very superior to the hillbillies uh, yeah he's got the big mouth that gets him into trouble which i can imagine happens when he's back home as well in other yes. situations in bars and things like that possibly yeah and there's a good scene where you know they they, you know, they pair up for the canoeing and yeah. Matt reynolds is calls him chubby and he's sort of having a go at him the whole day and the next day he says to to ed he says uh your friend was shouting at me. I'm not used to it, Ed. Yeah. So you get the idea that he's maybe he's a person who's very in control of what he's doing, you know, and he's, he's yeah. very much a fish out of water, you know. You picking up things this time round that you've missed last time mm. because I thought I knew this film inside out, upside down, back to front. Mm. And there were little things like that that I was picking up on myself. Mm. And even without the benefit of the commentary, which is going to give you all that extra inside information, mm. I'm just sitting there watching this and thinking wow I'd, I'd seen that but didn't realize that was going on or yeah. why did i miss this one particular bit when i know we're sort of jumping ahead and we will keep going backwards and forwards, yeah, but so. when john voight climbs up the side of the cliff mm. uh, and he falls asleep and he's leaning up against the rock and i'm remembering i remember that the the toothless mountain guy is going to appear at any minute at some point behind him i remembered that happening Mm. And when it ap- actually happened, and you look at it, it looks as if he's walking on top of the rock itself that John Voight's head's leaning up against. So it looks like he's only about six inches tall. You know, it looks like oh. he's a little tall. And, and it doesn't look like the perspective of it. It doesn't look like yeah. he's in the distance. And I'm thinking, that is brilliant. I don't know if that was deliberate yeah. or not. 
Uh, and then also, after I saw that, I'm thinking, right, does he kill him, doesn't he? And, then, and in my head, I'm picturing something to do with his teeth. Mm. And of course, there's the bit where he, he thinks he's killed the wrong guy because mm-hmm. he's got his he's false got teeth. teeth back in at this time. Again, we, we sort of jumping way ahead here. Mm. The build-up to the canoes must take a good 15 minutes mm. in a movie that only runs hour and 45. Mm. And the ending takes up a lot longer than I previously remembered. You know, yes. the bit when they're well rescued or when they get to the shore sort of thing so in reality the actual canoeing rapid scene the whole crux of the story it's about an hour and 15 yeah but that when you think about it is an hour and 15 minutes of solid action visual Mm. entertainment drama horror as you said Mm. it's quite horrific tension edge of the seats all of that sort of stuff and i was still feeling all of those emotions the 20th time i watched it yes and i could quite easily sit and watch it again now, quite yeah. easily, happily. I'll probably watch it with the commentary next time I do watch it. You should, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we fucked it. You better let them show us. You're missing the whole point, Ed. <laughs> Where are you going, city boy? <laughs> we'll find it. It ain't nothing but the biggest fucking river in the state. <laughs> Yeah, you get this wonderful thing. And I just mentioned to you again off air that you weren't aware of Burt Reynolds was a stuntman Mm. prior to becoming like a full time actor. Mm. And I'm imagining Burt Reynolds is driving that car through Mm. that very narrow lane through the woods. And John Voight's reaction is possibly genuine. You know, he's shitting himself, Mm. possibly. Burt Reynolds is genuinely laughing and enjoying himself. Yeah. Um, do we get any sort of inkling or indication at this early point of what the relationship between the four people are? I mean, I haven't read the book. Like I was saying earlier, I really would like to, re- to read the novel. 
I got the impression that Lewis and Ed Jumvoy are yeah. probably quite good friends and probably quite old friends. Yeah. And I, you get the feeling Jumvoy is such a good actor. I mean, I love I love Midnight Cowboy. I mean, that's way up on my flip chart oh, as well. Yeah. You get the impression that he admires Lewis, and maybe uh, again in in the book, apparently he's an ad exec, mm-hmm. but apparently he's a bit insecure or he's a bit jaded in his job. So he's he's a family man. Yeah. You get the impression that maybe you'd like to be a bit more like Lewis. So I think that's their yeah. thing. I think Drew is probably someone. I get the feeling maybe John Voigt Ed has known them all for a long time. This was he, the hmm. yeah. He he's the sort of anchor of the four at the beginning. But if you notice the whole kind of his journey is that he has to become the alpha male. He becomes yeah. Lewis because obviously Lewis Burt Reynolds is incapacitated. Hmm. You get the feeling that maybe. Uh, we use their character names so people know. You know, Lewis and Bobby, who's Ned Beatty, they probably don't know each other that well. But the thing I was going to ask you, actually, I think in the novel you find out what Lewis's job is, but I don't know. But it says in the synopsis, for Atlanta businessmen, so you get the idea that maybe Lewis Burt Reynolds is quite a settled guy, but he's got this other adventurous side. Of, yeah. He says that famous line about, oh, we don't need insurance, isn't it? Because Bobby works in insurance. So you've got that right. tension. You've got the insurance guy and the guy who doesn't believe in insurance. It's very <laughs> clever, you know. So I think, yeah, Lewis and Ed are probably good friends. And I think Ed is probably friends with the three of them. That's what I was trying to work out. Did mm. all four know each other? I knew there was probably, probably one a little that was bit. a bit of an outsider or, mm. you know, they weren't four like high school buddies. I, we definitely get that impression. They haven't all known each other for a long period of time, but they know of each other or mm. two are very close and very certainly very close. Yeah, I could see Drew as a, I don't know, like a college lecturer or something, or mm. he might bring his guitar into his class. You can imagine someone who likes busting the guitar, a bit like me, really. A bit like you, maybe <laughs> a, a teacher that plays the guitar. There we go, it's ECU, yeah. we've got it, yeah. I can't think of, can't think of that could be, you know. You get the chance to sort of work out their characters within that first 15 minutes. Mm. And as you say, you, you get an instant inkling of what Ned Beat is like, that brash. Gets, his mouth gets him in trouble everywhere he goes. Sort of thing. Yeah, he's making fun of the hillbillies, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Ron, Ronnie yeah. Cox has this wide-eyed innocence. Yeah, yeah. he's very childlike, isn't he? Yeah, Burt Reynolds. He seems like the real nicest guy, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, and Burt Reynolds, as you say, almost certainly holding down a steady boring nine to five job and his weekend is his release you know doing yeah. things like this are very passionate about the environment as he as he says right at the beginning yes. and, yeah. and the whole thing's his idea yes i don't think there's the idea that they're reluctant to go along with the whole thing it's just the case mm. of their lives dictate that they couldn't possibly you know because of the families and mm. things like that and burt reynolds has sort of insisted that this is the only chance they're going to get mm. These are the sort of things I was picking up on you know, under the surface of mm-hmm. the dialogue that I thought I knew so familiar with, you know, all yes. these years. And even when you get to like the village and things like that, where they're trying to arrange getting the cars out, and mm. you start noticing that there are families that are already packed or houses that are empty where they've started mm-hmm. evacuating the area ready for the yes. whole dam to flood the area. And you just get this impression of, of the, which I missed before that. Mm-hmm. What they're saying is going to affect all of this area. It's all going to be under 300 feet of water. Mm. And these families have got to be displaced somewhere at some point in, mm. in a very short period of time. Because towards the end, it's very apparent when they collect the car. The yes. family that are there waiting with them have got all their belongings packed in the back of their truck. Yes. Uh, uh, the, did you notice that? Oh, go on, sorry. Go on. You're going to say about the church? 
Yeah, the church being transported. I love that. Yeah, the Church of Christ. On a trailer. How about that for symbolism? Yeah. Oh God. Silly little thing. Well, not silly, but the attention to detail very subtly became apparent to me this time round. And for something for me that was a ten out of ten or a five star movie, and it's hard to actually improve on that score. You know. Yes. Get six star. You can do very rarely. Yes, you can do that. Um, Film Film Junk Podcast actually do that. They allow their reviewers one or two six star reviews. Oh, do they? I can have six star hotels, and we can have. There you go. Movies. Yeah, and you can turn your amp up to eleven. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> mm. We're sort of trying to bring this in chronologically, and, and as yes. it's going, so we've got to mention the scene, scene one, dueling banjos. You being a musician, mm. you being able to play that, you did play me a, a brief extract oh, a few weeks God. ago. Oh, he's got it. He's going to do it now. I, I did not cue this up at all, Jeff, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just a little bit. Now it's very difficult with one guitar to do two parts, yeah. but I'll try. survival who has the ability to survive that's the game survival and you can't wait for it to happen can you you can't wait for it well the system's done all right by me oh yeah you got a nice job got a nice house nice wife nice kid make that sound rather shitty, Lewis. Why do you go on these trips with me, Ed? I like my life, Lewis. Yeah, but why do you go on these trips with me? You know, sometimes I wonder about that. Here's to you, Lewis. God damn, he got one. <laughs> Terrific, Lewis. I hate him. Go back to one of your earlier questions. Yeah. I've now I've now remembered. I think I saw this film at the same time I was learning the guitar, which is about fourteen. Oh, right, okay. Because one of the things that drew me to it, I thought. What the hell is this musical number doing in the in the middle of uh, what I said off mic? We invented a genre, canoeing horror. Why is there a musical number? But it's it just makes it unique, doesn't it? It's yeah. The whole thing obviously was scripted and pre-planned, mm. and the the young actor that plays the banjo mm. couldn't play the banjo. Yes, you know this bit, and then it's it, it's a young kid that can play the banjo whose arm is underneath his body. Oh, how brilliant! Playing, yeah. yes, while the actor himself is just picking. 
basically. Yes, it's, you can more or less fake picking with the right hand. It's yeah. not that difficult. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there is an actual actor sitting behind that guy playing playing the banjo. Yeah. It's another boy, actually. Yeah. 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 What I read somewhere because I haven't gone into trivia or and, and the stuff I'm sort of remembering from our previous review. Mm. Where the old boy with the hat starts dancing at the gas station, that mm. bit wasn't scripted. That's right, yeah, it wasn't. Is scripted. that right? It was spontaneous, yeah. and and they just kept it in because this guy was yeah. just dancing away like a loon, and it just really yeah. worked. Mm. And all those people were local people; they weren't actors. Obviously, mm. uh, one of the mountain men, we'll get to that scene later, yeah. was he was in First Blood and a few other ones. Yeah, uh, yeah, Green Mile. But the other, the other one, uh, the one you mentioned with the dentures. Yes. I think Bart Reynolds worked on a ranch or something, and he and he said, oh, "I've I've worked with this guy, and he might fit the bill." He wasn't an actor, but well, his nickname was Cowboy, wasn't it? It was something Cowboy, Cowboy something, wasn't it? I think that's on the it, credits. Yeah. 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 So, so Bert Reynolds has picked him basically purely on his appearance. He looks like a, <laughs> a yeah. crazy mountain man. We'll get him in the movie. <laughs> and there's another funny bit of trivia. Um, the boy who played the guitar, I think his name was. Billy something. He was about mm. 15, I think. Yeah. He, for some reason, he didn't like Ned Beatty and he liked Ronnie Cox. Okay. And here's an interesting bit. This is a silly bit of trivia, but um, the, the scene where he had to glare at Ronnie Cox, although yeah. he, I don't think they're in the same shot, he mm. didn't want to glare at Ronnie Cox because he liked him. So they got Ned Beatty to look at him and he <laughs> glared at him instead. <laughs> and that's just such a brilliant uh, piece of film trivia, isn't it? You know, it's one of those that's silly amazing. bits. Do you know what sort of hit me this time as well? Mm-hmm. When they get into the canoes and they're, they're starting their paddle off down, uh, and that kid is up on the on the bridge with oh, the banjo yeah, looking down, yeah. and I just looked and I thought, do you know what he looks like? And I'm not being cruel here. Mm. He looked as if he'd been drawn by Charles Schultz out of a Peanuts cartoon. Oh, yeah, didn't he? If you could imagine Charles Schultz drawing a hillbilly character, that's yeah. what he would draw because of the. The big ears and the the oval face and it just mm. looked like a sort of stretched out Charlie Brown type thing. You know? It's strange, isn't it? I mean, you get the idea. Did you get the idea that he must be some sort of savant? Because obviously the way he's playing the banjo is just supernaturally good. You know. Yeah. You yeah. get the idea. Maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe he's autistic or whatever he is, or feral or whatever he is. But mm. you immediately start thinking he must be some sort of savant because to play that well. Because the kid doesn't even look fifteen. He looks more like twelve, doesn't he? Really? Yeah. Yeah, years yeah. of inbreeding has made him some sort of banjo master. You know? That's it, yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, there's a great shot. The, the camera sort of goes round him and then he's swinging that banjo and just staring. Yeah. Because yeah. Ronnie Cox uh, mimes a guitar with the oar, doesn't he? With the oar, he's waving at him and smiling. Yeah. And, and the kid's having none of it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he was having none of it as soon as the song finished. Remember, he yeah. goes, do you want to play another one? Yeah. And he sort of shook his head and... That was it, yeah. Very sinister, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. There's, there's this air of menace right from the beginning. Mm. And if you hadn't seen the movie before and you don't know what the outcome's going to be, mm. you get a pretty good inkling that something's going to be happening at some point. Yeah. This isn't going to be, you know, four guys going on a great camping trip. Yeah. But isn't it so strange that there's about 15 minutes of basically canoeing documentary or it's like a home movie of the the guys on the weekend it's so strange but, isn't but it i love that bit as well so because, do i so do i you know as, as it's sort of pretty well documented they did all the canoeing and all the stunts because mm. talking of insurance they weren't insured again were they it's this isn't the whole reason wasn't it isn't it incredible <laughs> i mean that would just never happen shall we just explain for listeners who don't know mm. this easy riders raging bulls it's a book 
by Peter Biskind, and it yeah. describes the period of New Hollywood. But you and I have kind of agreed it's somewhere from actually The Graduate or Bonnie and Clyde and Bonnie and Clyde, I think, pretty much, yeah. The so end raging, of the studio system, yeah. So Raging Bull or basically Heaven's Gate, because that was the one that bankrupted whichever, nearly bankrupted. Uh, United Artists, wasn't it, I think. Yeah. yeah. So there's this period of intense sort of realism. And there's a link, really, because... I'm sure we I know we haven't reviewed French Connection, but we've talked about it. Mm. There's bits of French Connection that just look at like a documentary of stakeout cops, you know, drinking yep. coffee and waiting for something to happen. And yeah. this one, what I love about it, like you said, the only soundtrack to this film is various versions of dueling banjos because they you notice they play different versions of it. Yeah. Slow yeah. versions of it. Mm. And they just let it happen. So there's a couple of reasons why this film wouldn't happen now. I mean, there's a, obviously the, perhaps that scene, perhaps the insurance thing. But also the thing of like, oh, it's just 10 minutes of a load of blokes canoeing. Like nowadays, you know, the way our sort of all our attention spans have been shortened, it'd be like, oh, come on, get on with it, you know. Yeah. But I yeah. love, you know, I love the documentary idea of it. And it's just so weird. You've got a musical number, you've got a canoeing documentary, and then you've got this <laughs> absolute horror story. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, every single it's genre unique. crammed into like an hour and a half, pretty much. It's absolutely unique, isn't it? we get a little bit of an insight into the characters before the horrific scene. Mm-hmm. John Voight is drinking in the canoe. Mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds is catching fish with a bow and arrow. For God's yeah. sake. <laughs> with his sleeveless, you should mention his sleepless wetsuit as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, is it a wetsuit? Something like that. Looks just, like looking, just looking like Burt Reynolds, pretty yeah. much. But looking you know, the part, he is amazing yeah. in the- I mean, Burt Reynolds was born to play the bandit or, you know, those cannonball run type movies. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where he found his audience a couple of years after this. But at the same time, he was a great action character actor, a bit of a heartthrob for the ladies and all of that sort of stuff. And it's perfectly suited this role to him, you know, just standing there with like the sleeveless wetsuit and the bow and arrow, you know, just doing Mm -hmm. all the macho bit. Mm. And it's amazing. It's a really, and it gives you some insight, as I say, that John Voight is is slowly getting pissed on these cans of lager, while Bert's catching their tea with a bow and arrow. And, it. and it's the <laughs> old catching their tea. Yeah. You're right. That's our dinner. You can imagine they brought a load of uh, you know ready meals from the city. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> but Bert's, Bert's gone wild man of the woods. You know he's doing yeah. it all properly. And yeah. it's also a classic example of Chekhov's gun. You know, oh, yes, yes. You remember, like Chekhov said, if you're going to show a gun on the wall in chapter one, you've got to make sure you use it by the end of the book. Yes, sort of thing. yes. So there's your bow and arrow. That's going to get used at some point. It yeah. gets used quite a few times, actually. Well, you, you've also got John Voight failing to shoot the deer. That's the bit I was hinting at earlier yes. when you said about John Voight. John Voight goes out hunting. What they were going to do with a whole deer, I don't know. They're only going mm. out for like a day and a half or whatever it is. Yeah. And the fact that he can't bring himself to kill an animal mm. completely goes on its head in the next hour or so. <laughs> mm. You know, he has to call whatever reserves he's got to the forefront to make sure he can actually have that bloodlust in him, you know? Yeah. You get Again, the, but mm. the character interaction in that particular scene, mate, where you've got a lull in the proceedings, you've had your, your canoeing documentary, you know you've got the nasty bit coming up in a minute, mm. but it's just the four of them. And it's just dialogue about, I can't really remember. I mean, John Voight must have been saying something that he wouldn't normally say because he's he's been a bit loosened by the alcohol. Mm. I can't that, really remember. Was it the family stuff I think he might have dwelt on? There? Yeah, there's another really good line. Mm. He says, um, I, I like my life, Lewis. You know, the system's mm. done all right by me. 
But the, the thing I like about them, John Voight is so, I mean, I don't know what he's like in real life, but he's so likable. Mm. His character, you just can't help liking him because he's, he's a kind of a gentle guy, you know, discovers, sort of discovers his alpha male later on. But no, it's the bit where um, Lewis says, uh, you got a nice wife. Nice mm. life, and he goes. You make that sound pretty shitty, Lewis. Yes. But he laughs. You know, there's a there's a warmth between them. You know, they know they know they're opposites, or maybe they're not so opposite. Maybe you're right. Reynolds is a weekend warrior, but yeah, Bert but, Reynolds is probably the um the bachelor out of them all. You know, and yeah, probably yeah, yeah. He's he's the one that pulls a different bird in a bar every weekend yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. know, and in a way, he's jealous of of Voight's life. Perhaps yeah. deep down, that's what he wants. He wants a family. He wants to settle down a little bit. But then it's mutual because Voight probably wants to be a bit more of an adventurer. adventurer. In a way, maybe he's fulfilling his fantasy the way it goes. Yeah. Not not because he wants to, but because he's forced to, you know. It's, it's really interesting. Um, you mentioned earlier, like, a really on-the-nose line. There's another one. They get through the rapids. And, of course, all the four actors are absolutely shitting themselves because it's yeah. all done. There's one shot of a double. And is I, that the one where it flips over? I think so, yeah. I think there's a bit where he flies out of the canoe and does a complete somersault, I think. I think so. There's well, a that, really... might, that might be the bit where Burt Reynolds actually cracked his coccyx, I think. Yeah, so there's a funny line with Borman, because I think they all got on very well, because they all... It, obviously, when you're going through an experience, the four actors, like the four characters, you're going to bond, aren't you? Because you're going mm. through this crazy experience. Yeah. There's a funny one where they used a double, and Burt Reynolds said, oh, to John Borman, can I do it myself? And after they finished the shot, Burt Reynolds said, how did it look? And John Borman said, it looked like a double going through the rapids. <laughs> Great line. But there's a really on-the-nose line. When they get through the rapids, Bobby Nebita goes, we beat it, didn't we? And Lewis says, you don't beat this river. <laughs> you don't beat it. Again, some of the lines, they it sound brave, yeah. but the, yeah. a little bit out of place in, in the, you know, if you're trying to hit the realism of the scene, you know. Yeah, a bit on the nose, aren't they? But, yeah. but you can tell that they're, you know, they're, they're struggling with the canoes because at one point the canoe's going backwards after they've yeah. come through a particular part and they're trying to, like, right themselves and come round. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming a lot of that dialogue was ad-libbed throughout all of that and they kept in character all the way through it. Yeah, there was a story about James Dickey who was an incredible character, I mean, a lunatic, but a force of nature and a poet laureate. He did a thing that a lot of a lot of writers sometimes do. They go on set and they say, well, you know, why are you changing my dialogue? And they're like, well, we're basing it on your book, you know. Mm. And there was a bit where um, James Dickey said, you know, we need a bit more backstory. Can't we see these guys in the city? And John Bowman said, no, you don't need to, you know, because the way they're dressed and a few of the lines, a skillful, you know, I mean, Dickie was a writer, but maybe they changed a bit, you know, you never know. But the skill is to convey a lot of information without showing you it, you know? Exactly, exactly. That's the sign of a good screenwriter, isn't it? And and at one point, if I remember, I'm going back again to our original review, Mm. Dickie got so upset with Borman, he broke his nose. Is that yeah. right? But then I they mean, became really close friends, and then that's how he got to be in the the scene as the police officer at the end. I mean, it's a bit weird because in the commentary and all the document, I watched the sort of one hour thing. They never yeah. mentioned that, but they did mention that they chucked him out. They chucked him off the set. Right. Um. I got anything else? Yeah. Apparently, yeah, nose broken, four of his teeth shattered. Bloody hell. They, they became good friends, and Dickie was very complimentary to the actors. He also, how about this? He mm. he was telling everyone separately 
Yeah. All this happened to me. He told everyone separately, and then they discovered it was all bullshit. Like he was a bit. He was. A, he was a storyteller in every sense of the word. He'd wow. make up. Make up stories. Because there was this thing that was loosely based on something, wasn't it? But Maybe, it, nobody yeah. seems to know what the source material actually is. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Probably what? some of it happened to him. I don't know. But. Yeah. Um. Mm. Before we get to like you know the main part of, of the whole movie. Mm. And we're talking about the four actors. You were teasing me mm. earlier with some alternate castings. <laughs> this I've, yeah. I've got to I've got to know now. I've got to who okay. who's up for whatever role then, mate? What have you got there? All right, get ready for this. Well, mm. one of them's actually a director. Dickie apparently wanted Sam Peckinpah to direct it, which I would have been. See. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been good. It would have been good. Yeah. Um, Dickie wanted Gene Hackman to play Ed. I could kind yeah. of see that because Gene Hackman yeah. could do that sort of genius. Same year as Poseidon Adventure as well, pretty much, 72. Absolutely. I've got Borman wanted Lee Marvin to play Ed, but I could see Lee Marvin as um, Lewis, I think, more, wouldn't you say? Maybe. Lee Marvin. A bit more rugged, a bit more rugged. Yeah. Um, back then, Lee Marvin, point break was 67. Mm, point blank, yeah. Sorry, point blank, point break. That's the sky. Point breaks the, <laughs> the surfing, surfing yeah. ice movie. Talking about mixing genres. Yeah. But that was point. That was Borman, wasn't it? Point blank. Point blank was Borman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's probably why he was his first choice then. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I could see them interchanging either either of those roles. I think. Mm. Yeah. But you're ready for some other ones. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, Borman wanted uh, Brando for Lewis Medlock and Nicholson for Ed. And I think Brando Nicholson, I don't know if they were already friends because they became neighbours years later and they did obviously Missouri Breaks. Yeah. Uh, but they were too expensive because the other thing was that they were trying to cut costs. That's why they were doing their own stunts and they weren't insured. Yeah. Can you believe it? Um, but then we got some very bizarre ones. Donald Sutherland and Charlton Heston as Lewis. Um, Try and get your head around that. Donald and Sutherland then, as Drew, I could have seen. Yes. Yeah, kind of bookish. Yeah. Not so much of an action man. Charlton yeah. Heston, I don't know what he would have been doing in this film. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston is the sheriff. Charlton Heston was born old. You know, Charlton he Heston. Was, yeah. yeah, he was a middle-aged looked, baby. Yeah. yeah, he always, you know, even in the early <laughs> movies, you know, it's Sparkus or, sorry, yeah, um, Ben-Hur and all that lot. He lo- always looked like a 50-year-old man. He did, yes, yes. Always, so... Oh, I don't know. Again, Heston was up for bloody um, Jaws, wasn't he, at one point? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, originally. Mm. But yeah, OK. I've got other ones. I don't know which roles, but some of these are a bit bizarre. Robert Redford, yes, I could see. I suppose that'd be Ed, would it? Yeah. John Boyd. Any, anything around this era, Paul Newman and Robert Redford would have been considered. Of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> Henry Fonda. I can't imagine who, who would Henry Fonda have played. No, Henry Fonda as the mountain man. Who Henry knows? Fonda as the sheriff. <laughs> he would have uh, had he'd, he'd have been a perfect <laughs> sheriff he would have been a perfect sheriff yeah he would have been but i think james dickey was brilliant as that yes, sheriff. The, yeah. the way he looks at him because i think that's what james dickey was actually like an incredibly penetrating stare mm. you know, he could just stare straight through you yeah. george c scott um who would he have played i suppose that'd be lewis yeah again that's just a it just seems too old for the role yeah it does but then, but i always picture george c scott as an older man most of the time but yeah and Warren Beatty. Ed. That'd be Ed, wouldn't it, obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, but here's another one. Um, you've uh, you've just kindly put out the uh, Jaws commentary we did. 
<laughs> Indeed, yes. Yeah, do you not couple... think? Do you not think between the four characters, there's a little bit of Brody Quint Hooper dynamics with Lewis as Quint? Yep. You know, sort of. Glad you said that. There is. Yeah. Were you thinking that? Were you thinking it, that? It well? was. There was something about the whole situation of a group of men in not necessarily a confined space, but mm. in a dangerous environment that there's only one route out, basically. Yes. Which is what Jaws is. You know, they've only got one means of escape, which is to head for the shore. Yes. In this, they've only got one means of escape, which is to head downstream to the river, you know. Yeah. But there's a big obstacle in the way, and it's not a great white shark. It's a man on top of a cliff with a gun. Yes. So you've got to eliminate that before you can get home. It's very similar. I know it's it not is, in the confines it? of the orca. It's, you know. Um, mm. And then but, you're also getting sort of like injuries along the way and people being mm. incapacitated, which sort of happens a little bit yes. with the loss of Hooper. You know, they're one man down. Oh, there's some good comparisons. There are, there. aren't there? I mean, Lewis is very clearly Quint, isn't it? Because it's the nature, you know, the guy who is a bit old school. Yeah. And Brody, I suppose, would be John Voight because he's a bit of an everyman and he's mm. no one particularly dislikes him. Because yeah. you've got the antagonism. I suppose I suppose Hooper would have to be Ned Beatty, but I'm not sure if that works. But you need that antagonism between, I don't know, like a, yeah, you need a, bit of friction, a, city, you? a city boy and a nature guy. You know, it's one of them. Yeah, so, of I mean, I thought of you because I, I, I thought of that and I suddenly thought, oh, so I think Scott will appreciate that. It, it just amazes me, you going back to that casting. With Charlton Heston, even in 72, I mean, I know Planet of the Apes was only three, four years prior to this. Mm. But as I say, he was still a leading man. 72 might have been Soylent Green as well that he did with Edward G. Robinson or 71, round about that sort of thing. That time. was 73 because I actually appeared on a podcast after. reviewing oh. that last year. Yeah. <laughs> there you Good go. Film. Good film. And it just amazes me that what you look back now at an old 50s actor, but then again, I suppose we could say that nowadays about Harrison Ford up to about 20 years ago. I mean, he's 70 plus now, Harrison Ford. But mm. even in his 50s, he was still pulling in those action roles, wasn't he, Harrison mm. Ford? It's intriguing, and it's also not surprising that BT Redford, all yes. those guys were in the run. They were always top choice for any movie round about this sort of Nicholson, yes. surprising. I mean, not sure. He wasn't massive then, was he? So he might have been a bit cheaper, I suppose, Jack Nicholson. I could see Nicholson as Drew because he, he can play the more intellectual, bookish yeah. when he gets his glasses on. Yeah. If you see Nicholson in glasses, there's a couple of roles he's played mm-hmm. where he's a bit more, he's more understated. He's not the Jack from The Shining and yeah. Cuckoo's Nest because he was a bit more, even Easy Rider, he's more understated, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. He's, he's not sort of a leering, flamboyant character. So it's it's always interesting, isn't it? Alternative casting, but I can't I can't see beyond these four guys. We're just perfect. Again, it's going back to Jaws. We've always mm-hmm. said. And it was pure fate that the three of them were, were cast together in Jaws. Mm, mm. And there's no way I could see Lee Marvin playing Queen, or even Sterling Hayden, who would have been brilliant. Sterling Hayden at a push, I think. Yeah, yeah but the, the trio we get in Jaws, yeah, mm. absolutely. And the four we get here, if it ain't mm. broke, you know, don't fix it. It worked. Absolutely yeah. worked. Yeah. What I'm going to do, I'm going to now play part of that scene. The, that scene or that scene? <laughs> the second one, you mean? Yeah. Okay. No. Hey, what? No. You look just like a hog. No, no. You look just like a hog. No. Come here, Diggy. No. Come here, Diggy, Diggy, no. Diggy. Hello. 
Okay, probably the most infamous or famous scene in the entire movie. And you can guarantee that when you mention this movie to anybody like I have this week saying we were going to review it, first thing they're going to say is, they're going to misquote it. It's going to be like a play it again, mm. Sam moment. Mm. And as we sort of mentioned in, in the run up to this, it's quite disheartening that that's only, only what people remember about this movie is that and dueling banjos, because already in this first, 45 minutes we've mm-hmm. discovered other little gems along the way mm-hmm. um equally if not more interesting and more exciting you know mm-hmm. but we're talking 1972 we're talking quite shocking even watching it you know i, I was squirming a bit watching it this time around as well mm-hmm. the distress on ned beat face that he's actually knackered he is physically worn out you could see that, say, that was it wasn't mm-hmm. it yeah and and that wasn't acting he was genuinely tired out by the whole proceedings we won't go into too much detail it's such a famous scene but mm-hmm. the bit that i loved was sort of post the actual rape scene itself mm-hmm. the bit i've always loved about this movie is when john voight is is tied to the tree with his own belt mm-hmm. still holding on to his pipe throughout the whole thing by the way he hasn't dropped the pipe um, yeah <laughs> it's the look he gives burt reynolds Yes. Just as the toothless guy is about to go for him. And it's that desperation, sort of like nodding his head and opening his eyes wide. And I'm thinking previously, I thought, oh, that was always a bit too exaggerated. Why haven't they spotted he's pulling this face to somebody Mm. behind them? Mm. But it did actually look genuine, you know. And you get this whole thing where William McKinney gets shot by Burt Reynolds and the arrow. Incredible. One of the greatest death scenes in cinema history. It's so prolonged it's amazing people don't die instantly do they that's the thing you yeah. know that that death would have taken that long yeah and i remember on our original review where william mckinley is leaning up against this tree this branch of this tree with his yeah. face all skew whiffed by a branch yeah. 
and he was there apparently for hours, wasn't he, holding this yeah. particular position. But around all of this going on, Ned Beatty getting dressed and getting angry and all of this sort of stuff, there is probably the best sequence of dialogue within the movie, I mm. think, as they argue and reason amongst themselves as to what mm. is the best way out of this situation. And then it all comes down to a vote. Yes. You know, the whole thing about democracy. and Yeah, very, very interesting. So there's one bit where Burt Reynolds plays on the fact that Drew is clearly a liberal who believes in the system. Yeah. He plays on it, doesn't he? And so, well, you yeah. believe in democracy. Let's have a vote. You yeah. Know? But he knows that the other three will be on his... Well, he knows Deb Beattie will definitely be on his side. And yeah. I think he sort of knows that John Voigt, being his oldest friend... Yes. And a family man and all of that sort of stuff. It's like he's got to be on my side with this as well. You know, Burt yeah. Reynolds would not have put that to the vote if he'd have known he was going to lose. Yeah. I'm pretty sure looking at it this time round. Yeah. Oh, I've got so much to say. I mean, yeah, the screw like the screw like a pig scene. What I was going to say was that apparently this is interesting. Ned Beatty and William McKinney, they actually spent quite a lot of time together, mm-hmm. which might sound a bit weird, but uh, I don't mean talking like candlelit dinners for two or something. <laughs> <laughs> God, I walked into that one. <laughs> No, I'm trying to imagine Ned, Ned Beatty in his first film thinking, you know, blimey, is this what filmmaking's like? You yeah. know, what a trooper. I mean, they, you know, he was amazing. All the others, they commended him mm-hmm. because the poor guy, you know, for the rest of his life, you know, as he everywhere he walks down the street, people are shouting the shouting at him. Like a pig, like. He said that, of course. Yeah. And, um, yeah, William, and again, William McKinney, we've got to salute the guy. Apparently, he, um, yeah, he held his breath for about two minutes or something, which is not an easy thing to do. And it, he's got his eyes rolling back in his head. Yeah. Not only that, he gets buried. Yeah, he buried him. Actually buried alive, yeah. He was buried alive for a few minutes or however long it was. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is why we love this period, don't we? He didn't even get mentioned in the Oscars, did he, that year? That's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, in a just world, I'd, I'd have nominated him at least. But, yeah, very interesting. Um, have you ever seen a film called Very Bad Things with Christian Slater and Cameron Diaz? When it very first came out, I've got no recollection of it. I'm pretty sure I watched it. Before. Yeah, it's not a brilliant film, but I remember I had a flat share in London. And, you know, sometimes you kind of get obsessed with one particular film. And yeah. Me and another guy who lived there, we used to watch that all the time. Yeah. And they do almost the same thing. They accidentally kill someone in a bathroom and they they have to have a vote about it. And I thought they, they're they definitely channeling deliverance. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, that is the dialogue scene, isn't it, more than the other ones? It's a break from what we've witnessed, as you, as you said. You know, we've got the initial opening scene of the driving and the getting to know the guys. You've got your mm. canoeing documentary. You've got a bit of, like, reflection and retrospection when Voight is drunk and talking to Burt Reynolds as he's catching the fish, and you mm. get a little insight into the characters there. Just prior to this scene is the scene where Voight tries to kill the deer, and cannot do it and it just all leads up to this two three minute of dialogue as i say of like reasoning arguing backstabbing fighting amongst each other and then just generally agreeing and reasoning and thinking we've got to get together to make this work there's only one way out of this Mm. and burt reynolds makes the argument that all this is going to be under 300 foot of water yes if we go to court, we're going to be sitting in front of a jury that's going to be his cousin and his father or his exactly. mother or whatever. You exactly. know, he makes yeah. the perfect argument yes. as to why they should do what they then do. Yes. 
and yes, quite rightly, it does get spoken about as as the scene in the film. But there is more to this movie, as we say. Yeah, um, but that whole ten minutes, the whole ten minutes from John Voight initially walking onto the shore mm. to then burying the body and getting back in the boat is is a fantastic ten minutes of cinema, mate. And interesting, do you notice they do the camping scene? Uh, just go back very slightly. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a captain scene overnight, and Burt Reynolds thinks he hears something. So the idea that they're being watched somehow. At that point, yeah. We just quickly mention the camera work. The camera work was designed with these long shots to make them look very small. Mm-hmm. It's that idea of how small man is against the elements. Nature. No, they also yeah. washed out all the colours because they didn't want anything to look bright. So it looks quite bleak. There's lots of greens and browns. There was something the about the... kept going on about that, didn't they? The, the river looked too beautiful, apparently. So they That's wanted it. to make it look a bit more menacing and a bit more yes. challenging than than the beautiful bit of scenery that it actually was. Yeah. Yeah. And John Voight also, interestingly, he gets up early or he wakes up. And that thing with the deer, it's almost like it's in secret, isn't it? Because I think the others are all asleep, aren't they? they don't I think see they're, all still, they're all still in bed, I think, yeah. So it's all, yeah. you almost, again, I'm kind of overanalyzing, but why not? It's almost like, he, you know, he's, he wants to sort of play out his little fantasy in secret. Yeah. But then you feel like he hasn't really got the heart to kill the deer. But then obviously when it's the mountain man, because he's done that to his friend, you know, in his mind, he's sort of justified. You know, that guy's worse than an animal in a sense, you yeah. know? I think what it's it all really boils down to is, is the reason why Voight went on the trip in the first place, because by the sound of it, him and Burt Reynolds have been friends for a long, long time. Yes. John Voight has settled down, married, kids, whatever. Well, he's got a kid and one on the way, hasn't he, as we, we find out later. But Burt Reynolds is still living this free and easy life and, and pulling birds left right. So I think he's gone on this trip as it's a bit of curiosity. What if... Yeah. What if there's a chance that I can actually live Burt Reynolds' life, even if only for a weekend, mm. and, and just see what my mate has actually been doing for the last 15 years while I've been married? Now you can imagine Burt Reynolds going around their house and being a really good sort of uncle to their kids, yeah. you know, <laughs> Play, playing like uh, American football with them, or yeah, what they call absolutely. What They call football what we call American football. <laughs> you can imagine that, yeah, he'd be a really cool uncle. He's probably, like, good with the kids and stuff. yeah. You know, yeah, sort of thing. We can sort of uh, fill in the gaps. We don't really need to see them in their former life. No, because you get Dickie enough dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Dickie was wrong, I think. Yeah, but I think you that's... get enough clues, I think, throughout. Yeah, mm. but but nothing highlights it all more than the argument between them and the reasoning between them in that particular sequence. Yeah. You see their four characters, and, and Ronnie Cox is still determined, even at the end of it, that they did the wrong thing, but he's had to go with the majority, you know. Yeah, that's it, yeah, because he believes in it, doesn't he? Democracy. Yeah. Should we do the um, interlude bit? 1972. Hmm. Were you alive in 1972, my friend? No, I wasn't, no, unfortunately. <laughs> were you? Yes, yeah, she yes, were. I, yes, I bloody was, yeah. Yes. I only, know that, I only know that because you were on the 1969. I was, I was. Yes. I was. I was there for the moon landing, mate. I told you that, didn't I? <laughs> you were, <yeah. laughs> um, What was happening in 1972? Give us the news headlines. <laughs> I haven't got the news headlines, but uh, I, I did want to just bosh through some of the films. Um, it's a great year when you look at it, isn't it? I mean, all these years are just fantastic. I mean, we're yeah. a bit biased, maybe, but... All right, so we've got uh, probably the biggies. I mean, I've never seen Cabaret in my life. You probably have, I guess. I but, have, yes, yeah. yeah. Never seen it. it. Not my favourite musical. It's a bit bizarre as a musical, as they class it. But mm. um, I probably should yeah. watch it. 
Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of Michael York, which is probably why I don't watch it as often as I have other movies of that sort mm. of genre. But Minnelli's great in it, and, and Joel Gray is bloody amazing in it, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And he won. Yeah. Didn't Joel Gray win Best Supporting Actor? Quite possibly. Definitely nominated. Definitely nominated. I know that. Because I don't think any of the Godfather, Brando obviously won, but I don't yeah. think Pacino and Khan. I think they were nominated, but didn't yeah. win. Yeah, I think Joel Gray might have played. I'm not possibly. 100%. Yeah. Um, and then we got obviously, well, obviously we got Godfather, Sleuth. Uh, we just did the Michael Caine show, didn't we? Oh yes, absolutely, yeah. I was thinking, what, what would Michael Caine have said after the squeal? I could pick something like a, he was only thirty-five years old. <laughs> he would have been very sympathetic, wouldn't he? Yes. He's a big man, but he squeals like a pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was our last collaboration, folks. Just in yeah. case you're wondering. Yeah. We did a Michael Caine special. Michael Caine in Deliverance. Oh my God! Talk yeah. about alternative casting. No, don't even go there. All right. Uh, <laughs> Frenzy, which we reviewed recently, Hitchcock. Was that seventy-two very, as well? Very good latter-day Hitchcock. Yes. Wow. Last Tango in Paris. Um, Brando's busy year, yes. Yeah, just to say quickly, I mean, if you watch The Godfather and Last Tango in Paris back to back, I mean, how could that be the same person? Oh my you know, God. it's yeah. a bit like um, it's a bit like watch French Connection in the conversation and marvel at Gene Hackman, how he can oh, be both those people. You yeah, know? that's a good shout, actually. Conversation's one of my favourites. Yeah. Oh, me too, yeah. Poseidon Adventure, talking of Hackman. We mentioned, didn't we, yeah, Gene Hackman. Yeah. Aguirre, Wrath of God. Have you ever seen that? That's Werner Herzog. Oh, uh, the Herzog. Uh, no, I've seen Fitzcarraldo. I think it's probably one of the only ones mm. I've seen. It's yeah. a goodie, very atmospheric. It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's similar to Deliverance, but it is a load of people on a river who just get stuck. It's the Amazon, isn't it? And In it's fact, the... it's very... Just think about it. It's very similar because they get set upon by the locals. Oh, there so, you go. Not that different, in fact. Is it like the Spanish conquistadors or something, isn't it? In the Amazon or something. Am I picturing that right? Yeah. With Klaus Kinski and... Yes, Klaus Kinski. Yeah, yeah the mad Klaus Kinski. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, play it against Sam's or Woody Allen. Uh, Solaris mm. is a... Tarkovsky is a kind of a Russian 2001. Yeah. Um, Young Winston with uh, Robert that's Shaw. A great, that's a great movie. Young Ready for your trivia question, Scott? Um, what what uh, Woody Allen film was Burt Reynolds in this year? It's the one where he plays the sperm. No, he does oh, Woody Allen plays the sperm, yes. No, no, so does Burt Reynolds. No, he doesn't. He's doesn't one he? of the controllers. He's the controller in the in yeah. the brain. It's um everything you ever wanted to know about sex we're afraid to. Very good, yes, yes, yes. yes. That, brilliant. I mean that's a very uneven film, but that <laughs> it's basically you see the inner mechanisms, it's a couple on a date, you see the food being digested. <laughs> and Burt Reynolds' famous line is we need an erection of forty five degrees, all systems go, or something like that. Proceed with erection. All systems go. The favourite or my favourite bit of that entire movie. I mean, there's the great bit in with the chastity belt and um, oh yeah, Lynn Redgrave. And Lynn Redgrave. But it's yeah. it's the whole Gene Hackman as the psychiatrist with the sheep. Oh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Gene, sorry, I said Gene Hackman. Yes, yeah, sorry, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> he was in everything. Gene Wilder and the sheep. Oh was, god, yeah. yeah. Takes him out, takes it out to dinner and puts yeah. a necklace around it. And stuff. Stockings and suspenders on it and everything. Oh, god. <laughs> Best supporting actor was Joel Grey. Definitely was Joel Grey. I've just checked. Um, And, oh no, he won the Golden Globe. Joel Grey, yes, he won it for Cabaret in the Academy Awards. Brando Mm. won Best Actor. Best supporting actress this year, Eileen Heckart for Butterflies Are Free. Oh, never heard of that one. No. Shelley Winters got the Golden Globe for Poseidon Adventure. Cloris Leachman got the BAFTA for The Last Picture Show. 
Shelley Winters won, yeah, because, oh, yeah. Yeah, do you the, remember? The, the bit of that I always remember from when I was a kid was when she has to dive down, doesn't she? And she says, I, I got a swimming certificate or something. And she yeah. dives down, and uh, yeah. Towards the end, because obviously everything's oh, upside God. down, isn't it? That's yeah. a childhood thing, isn't it? Um, we've got King of Marvin Gardens, which is an, old, an early Jack Nicholson, so he's yeah. a real hot period. But of course, Scott, everything pales into significance when I tell <laughs> you that this was the year of, listen to this, Carry On Abroad and Carry On Matron. Now, I mean, talk about spoiled, eh? It's possibly the only year that you get two carry on movies. I'm <laughs> sorry, gonna, that was my question for you. Yeah. I think it is possibly the only time it happens since '58 when they first started, <laughs> and it's a shame because it's getting just past the golden era. As I, it's a shame that I actually know that there's a golden era of carry on movies that baffles most people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Cleo's the best. Or Carry On Cleo, Screaming's pretty Cleo good. Cleo was always my favourite. Um, yeah. And it sort of starts at Cleo, the golden period, and finishes at camping in 69. Mm. But I, I'm, I'm open to arguments with this, you know, because it's only Carry On movies at the end of the day. Yeah, ca- but, carry, on, uh, carry On Deliverance. There you go, that'll boggle your mind. Oh, God. Sid <laughs> Jones, Charles Hawtrey, Kenneth Williams, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Sid Jones. Oh, behave. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. It was um, also the year of Deep Throat, 1974. <laughs> um, Lady Sings the Blues, Diana Ross. Uh, Sam yeah. Peckinpah, we mentioned earlier. The Getaway, Steve McQueen, Ali McGraw. Was oh, Have you not seen that? That is a perfect Easy Rider Raging Bull movie as well, mate. Right. Have right. a little look at that. That is a really good film. There's a great Western, again, Robert Redford, Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, oh, that's not on my list. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah Sidney Pollock. Apart from that, what's up, Doc? Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. That's a great movie. Bogdanovich, isn't it, that one? Mm -hmm. 72's a great year when you look at it. The awards were pretty sort of scattered as well. Best actor, right? As you said, Brando won for the Academy Award for The Godfather. Okay. Mm. He also won... Now, back then, the Golden Globes were split. He won it, the Golden Globe, in the drama section, Marlon Brando. Mm. Jack Lemmon won it in musical or comedy for Avanti, which I haven't seen in a long time. Mm. The BAFTA went to Gene Hackman for the Poseidon Adventure. Ah, interesting. So there's a real sort of difference of opinion as the best actor right across the board there. Mm. Whereas if you look at best actress, Liza Minnelli won the Golden Globe for the musical, the BAFTA and the Academy Award. But Mm. Liv Ullman won it for the Emigrants for the Golden Globe for drama. You know, mm, don't know that one. Mm. Mm, interesting, yeah. It's a great year, you know. But then, I mean, I these were, you know, seventy-five, seventy-six. I mean, have a look at those. Uh, or not now, but yeah. if you ever do a film of those years, hint, hint, we might do one from seventy-four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we might. Yeah, yeah. never know. <laughs> no, I mean, those years are just crazy. Seventy-six, seventy-seven, seventy-eight. Yeah, and and it just perfectly encapsulates that whole easy rider raging bull period that we love we do actually mm-hmm. you know the golden age of hollywood was sort of like the 40s and the 50s as most people mm-hmm. generally acknowledge but this is a second golden age you know for me yeah. you, they call it new hollywood don't they new hollywood, hollywood new wave it was the studio system had broke down the Hayes code had gone in the early 60s mm. as a perfect example i think it was the year that bonnie and clyde were released which was 67 i think it was yes and when you look at Bonnie and Clyde being produced and directed by New Hollywood, 
Mm. Okay, out of the studio system. Fox are desperately trying to keep things alive, and their biggest movie of the year is Doctor Doolittle <laughs> with um, Rex Harrison. Mm. And it's not the greatest musical of all time or greatest kids, movie, but they they pushed everything. You know, it was mm. almost another Cleopatra, mm. and the whole studio system they they refused to let you know the studio system die. But mm. I think it was things like Bonnie and Clyde that year. Um, and then, like you said later on, coming on to things like Clue and the conversation and all those stuff that we love, yeah. it just knocked the nail, you know, in the coffin, you know, and it, it, that's what makes it so exciting. But it's only a very brief window as well, you know, like we always say, mm. the Beatles are only sort of seven years of recording mm. and all that. Like, mm. By 1980, as you, as you mentioned, you know, Heaven's Gate. Yeah, Heaven's Gate was pretty, pretty much. It? It, it killed the studio. It killed Universal's. Um, United artists. Yeah, I mean, I always say that Hollywood New Wave happened really for a few reasons, but the main ones being that that you had all these uh, what they call them film brats who'd been to film school and they're yeah. all Scorsese and they're all they're all watching German expressionism, Russian expressionism, and everyone's doing lots of cocaine. Those are the two main reasons, <laughs> and you get these producers who are sort of into the party thing because I guess the swinging sixties was somewhere we talked about this between 65 and about 75 it wasn't really yeah it wasn't really chronologically necessarily yeah um so you get this amazing um just a few more notes uh john borman and we mentioned point blank he also directed zardoz which i know is a film you've got a lot of affection for oh, uh, it's a very strange nappy. film yes sean connery in a nappy basically. um yeah. john voight had done midnight cowboys we know coming home Coming Home is a great movie. 78, I think, and it's John Voight yes. again and Jane Fonda. Uh, I think John Voight won the Oscar for that. Yes, he did, yeah. Rainmaker, mm. that's a good one. That's a mm. courtroom thing. Would, would you say John Borman was a movie brat? Because he's right sort of on the the overlap, because the point blank being mm. 67 or whatever, right mm. at the end of that. And then he was obviously part of the studio system when he started, and then he sort of found himself in this new era, and he's and he's taken to it like a, a duck to water, you know. I would say so, but I, I would have expected more of these sort of films to come from him, but all I've got here is Point Blank, Zardos, and, I mean, Open Glories years later, but... Yeah. I'd put him in that bracket if he'd made two or three other ones that, you know, mm. the kind of films we'd be reviewing, but... What did he make after this? Immediately after. Let's have a look. Well, Zardoz was two years after this. 74, wasn't it, Zardoz? I was having a look through. Have a look through, but I I'm didn't just recognise too many. Hope and Glory is a great movie, by the way. We reviewed that oh. on Real Britannia. Ah, no, that. It's, it's quite sort of few and far between. Deliverance 72. He then directed one episode of a TV thing called 10 Years On. So Zardoz is his... Ah, hang on, that's producer. Let me look at director. He's got 31 directing credits. Okay. I mean, you'd have thought after this film, I mean, everyone would have wanted him. I think oh. this may have got lost a little bit under the shadow of The Godfather, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Right, Deliverance 72, Zardoz 74, Exorcist 2, 77. Oh, then I haven't seen that. the excellent Excalibur in 81. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, Emerald Forest, I think, with Charlie Borman's actually in that again. Well, I think he's in most of his films, actually, in 85. Mm. Hope and Glory, 87. Where the Heart Is, 1990. And then there's just some really bizarre... The Taylor of Panama, 2001. 
Is that um, Pierce Brosnan? That's the Pierce Brosnan one, isn't it, I think? Yeah, but the only ones yeah. then in the, in the Easy, Easy Rise of Raging Bulls after this is Zardoz and Exorcist 2, so he's not... He doesn't count, does he? You know, no. Before that, in the studio system itself, as a director, it's TV stuff. He was a TV producer. Yeah, strange. You know, that's what he did, so... Weird. It's a very patchy career with some very high highs and some very low lows. It's the only way mm. I can describe it. You know, you, you have to pick the cherries off this cake. It would be Deliverance, Excalibur, Hope and Glory would be the three. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I got here. John Boyd's obviously Midnight. Oh, we talked about that. Burt Reynolds was in a film called Shark in 69. I was hoping you were going to mention this. <laughs> you, you told me something about this on the phone the other day. Please enlighten me. I mean, all it was is that when I watched Jaws, I, I you know, as a kid, and just completely kind of killed it, frankly, <laughs> over watching it. But um, I, I was then desperate to watch anything. I mean, I, I ended up watching stuff like Piranha and Alligator, which were obviously yeah. cashings. But then I found um, a weird, I think it was a joint Mexican production. I think Burt Reynolds was... Already, I'm, I'm loving it. Go on, a yeah, joint I, Mexican production, yeah. I honestly can't remember much about it. I don't know if he's a bounty hunter or something like that. He's a shark hunter, but it's pre-Jaws, but I watched it obviously after Jaws, so it's 69. But it's Sam Fuller. Sam Fuller, I mean, he's pretty well known. So I've just found it. Arthur Kennedy, king of the disaster movies, is in it. And there's a lot of Mexican actors who I obviously do know at all oh no arthur kennedy i'm thinking of george kennedy arthur kennedy mm. was in lawrence of arabia oh, right, right. um there are no famous people in this movie shark 1969 a gun runner loses his cargo near a small coastal sudanese town so he's stuck there when a woman hires him to raid a sunken ship in the shark infested waters he sees a chance to compensate for his losses and he's not the only one. Tagline. I don't know how this got a tagline because it says more bite than Jaws. And it was filmed six years before. Ah, yes. I think that might have been after the fact. <laughs> and instantly there's one bit of trivia. Stuntman Jose Marco was killed on camera when a great white shark bit through a protective net and attacked him. Jesus. Sam Fuller clashed with the producers on a variety of issues. And when the production company used Marco's death to promote the film, he quit. When, mm. when Fuller saw the version that was released to theatres, he said it had been butchered so badly it was no longer recognisable as his film, and demanded his name be removed. And demanded his name be removed, but the producers refused. Mm, oh my God! So is, is it really a shark movie? It just happens to be set in shark-infested waters. You can't really remember too much, you say? Not really, but I mean, you have to give it a bit of credit because we do kind of get the impression that Jaws was the first shark film or one of the first. But obviously, you know, we know from your what you just said that they were using real sharks, obviously. Yeah. Um, a bit too realistically, unfortunately. But yeah. um, I, I do remember, I do remember there were some fairly okay scenes. I don't think it was a great film with a great script or anything. But um, four point six on IMDb. It's available to rent or buy on Prime. I think it's available somewhere else though as well. Um, <laughs> Russian possibly, yeah. No, YouTube. Was, it's fact, on YouTube. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so Burt Reynolds. I mean, again, this was the the movie that made him a star. It's got to be, hasn't it? I'm assuming it's, it's the one that made yeah, him a household name. He was a TV guy. Uh, he was a TV actor. It's funny. I think most 
cinephiles would probably look at his career and say that in terms of great films, it's really boils down to this and uh, Boogie Nights, doesn't it? As a sort of serious actor? To, well, yes. I mean, obviously, he's, he's, that's the thing. He's, he's very iconic. I mean, you know, Smokey and Cannibal yeah. Run and the one with Dolly Parton and everything. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. best little house in Texas. Yeah, and then you get this era in the 80s where he plays just a, a cop in a different town in a different situation. Mm. Um, you know, like Sharky's Machine and all those sort of things. That mm. Strip Tease he got a bit of recognition for, didn't he? I think it was a bit of a comeback for him, Strip Tease. Oh, right. I always thought Boogie Nights was a comeback. But... Boogie Nights was after. Um, Boogie Nights was 97, I want to say. Strip Tease was 96 and Boogie Nights was 97. Oh, yeah, he went but... on this real sort of resurgence round about then. Mm. because he was known as an 80s like late 70s and 80s actor uh mean machine in the 70s the american football one i loved it you know those sort of movies yeah yeah well he did quite a lot didn't he he did loads there's a lot of movies here when you look well, well all these uh, i was looking through the film is all these guys and um, ned Beatty um is quite famous because he got he had one scene in Network that got nominated for amazing, amazing scene as well. Very yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah. All, apparently, he was in All the President's Men. I don't remember him in that. Do you? I haven't seen that for ages. I've only ever watched it once, and again, that was in my teenage years, and never really went back to it. And it's one that I need to go back and see. That's quite an easy ride as Raging Bulls yeah, one because yeah. you get lots of these sort of interesting long shots, and yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, Ronnie Cox, I would have known from later from RoboCop. That you was know? it. He that dies. He's the corporate boss. And I'm wondering if I saw RoboCop before I saw this, actually, because RoboCop mm. was 87. I watched this 86, 87, I think, for the first time. You know, he's in um, Beverly Hills Cop and Total Recall as well. Total Recall, I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bill McKinney, who played the rapist, was in First Blood. I remember that. He was one of the cops, wasn't he? In that, I think. Yes, with uh, Brian Dennehy. Yeah. But they're your four main ones, aren't they? There, there aren't many other faces here, are there? As I say, the cops played by Dickie. Herbert Coward, the toothless man, wasn't an actor. Mm. And and the rest of the cast were, were locals, you know. As you That's said. right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Burt Reynolds and Ned Beatty were re-teamed. I feel uh, guilty asking you this because it's so difficult, but maybe you know, do you? It's not the end, is it? Because that was Dom DeLuise. Um, it's an 80s film that's something to do with the media, as you clue. <laughs> switching channels? Switching channels, very good. That, that's the one with... Um, uh, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, and the woman out of nine and a half, not nine and a half weeks, um, Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner, yeah. yeah. Uh, where did that come from, eh? Look at that. <laughs> He's good, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just going back to James Dickey, he was a, a poet laureate, wasn't he? I knew he was a poet, um, yeah. And um, very, very uh, strong character. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll talk about the sheriff later, but yeah. Yeah, we'll just sort of interesting wind up towards the end now because after we've yes. got over, over this amazing, so familiar scene to everybody, mm. we we then get another bit of of canoe action, you know, mm. <laughs> <laughs> not so much documentary, more actual you know, full-blown action movie scene here with canoes being split in half. And yes. Ronnie Cox, when you watch him fall out of the boat originally, on even on this particular view, it still doesn't look like he gets shot. It looks like he deliberately falls out of the boat. Yeah, you're right. It's interesting. The director, apparently they talked about it mm. because they left it ambiguous. 
but there's a theory um that he's he felt so guilty that it wasn't that he committed suicide but it was almost like he he, he was so guilt-ridden because yeah, he's sort of you know that's how it always looks to me it yeah. looks like he just leans over the side and falls in yeah it's almost like he lets it happen is it yeah because, but then the thing about you think of it he's got kids as well so is he gonna mm. you know it's a strange one isn't it yeah but instantly, Burt Reynolds, as they get towards the shot, he was shot, he was shot, he was saying like this. And... But then they find his body later and he's not. Do you remember he's got his arm? There's a little bit of trivia. You know he's got his arm behind his neck? Yes. That Wasn't was that a, Ronnie... a trick he could actually do or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they weren't going to do it. Ronnie Cox said, well, I'm very double-jointed. I can put my <laughs> arm behind my neck. And they said, yeah, we'll have a bit of that. So they actually, I think they actually not examine him as such, but they can't see any bullet. There's no blood. Or no. So we don't think he was shot. So, yeah, I think it's a sort of a bit of a stylistic thing that maybe sort of given up a bit after having to go, you know, having to vote to get rid of this. Yeah. Just one very quickly, a little bit of symbolism. Um, mm-hmm. Bobby said, let's bury him. And the yeah. idea is maybe he's trying to bury the memory or bury the, you know, because it's a pride thing, isn't it? He says, oh, I don't want anyone finding out about this. So said, we're not going to talk about this ever again sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think from this point, it, it's almost like two films because John Voight, as we said earlier, is forced to become almost Lewis. You know, he's forced yes. to become the alpha male, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, yeah. because Lewis is uh, obviously breaks his leg and he's got. What do you think of that? Does that look realistic when he's got that massive bone sticking out of his leg, or is that a bit a bit cartoony? Or I always remember it being quite horrific when I was a kid watching it, thinking, mm. "Oh my god, there's the bit with the leg coming up," and it's. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, you can't really see what it is. It just looks like a lump of flesh sticking through the wet. So. Mm, yeah. Um, but I think he acts it very well. Though. I mean, he does the, look in agony, doesn't he? Yeah, and the bit that sort of hits home for me in that sequence is as John Voight is making his way, starting to go up the cliff or they're deciding that that's what they're going to do, it cuts back to Burt Reynolds lying on the rock and he's shivering. He's got his arms around himself and his teeth are chattering and he's absolutely freezing cold. And we could be pretty sure that was happening in real life. I absolutely, because he's not moving, yeah. is he? And he's soaking wet. Yeah. yeah. There's one line I really like where um, um, Ed, I mean, Lewis is absolutely out of it. You know, he breaks, yeah. broken his leg and really good acting. Mm. And um, Ed, John Voight says, what are we going to do? You're the, you're the man with the answers. <laughs> And Lewis kind of grabs him and goes, "Now we get to play the game." But it's, it's not. But it's not. No, but it's not. In this case, it's not cheesy because he's acting it really well. Yeah, I know. You know, mean. I know what you mean. I mean, it could be a really cheesy line, but I think on that he gets away with it. Do you know what? what you get... Because you don't beat the river. That's a bit no. sort of John Wayne. But you know. no, but also when you're lost in the movie, that's the sort of thing that you're like, "Yeah, come on, Bert." You know, yeah. you just you punch the air almost. Didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's uh, interesting that they're still sort of turning to him, aren't they? You know, no, their characters are pretty much devi- de- defined from the outset. Mm. Uh, but there's an arc, isn't there? You know, there's yeah. Mostly John Voight, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. John Voight is the character that completely changes. Ned Ned Beatty stays pretty much the same all the way through, you know. Ah, well, uh, Scott, uh, so, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Jaws, Brody, scared yeah. of the water, has to take over, kills a shark. <laughs> Very similar, eh? <laughs> I think, oh, suddenly, we could... I think we're suddenly realising that they were watching Deliverance, aren't we? Absolutely. There you go. Steven Spielberg, you, you, you're a sham, you're my, a my friend. Sir, you have conned us all these years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that just came to me. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he's the every man and he's forced to do stuff that he never would believe. Yeah. yeah. 
That's it. There you go. Uh, smile, you son of a bitch, with no teeth, basically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And he actually climbs the, the cliff in real life, doesn't he? Because as we yes. said, there are no stuntmen as such in this movie. So John Voight is climbing up that rock face. Yeah. And as I sort of like mentioned earlier, there's this wonderful scene where he gets to the top. He's absolutely knackered. Mm. And he falls asleep and the toothless mountain man appears on the horizon just above his shoulder looking down, armed with a rifle. And you get a recreation of the scene with the deer where John Voight Mm. sits back, you know, and he starts loading up the bow. And he starts shaking. And it's seriously quivering. Yeah, yeah, and it's one arm goes, then the other one goes, and then the head goes a little bit as well, and he starts pulling himself together. And Hitchcockian almost, the suspense as the mountain man turns around and raises the gun, John Voight lets the arrow go. Who's been shot? Who's been killed? What's happened? You don't mm. know until like the mountain man appears again and he's got like, the gun and you're like, oh my god, he's gonna kill him! He's gonna kill him! Yeah. And then and you just falls. see the arrow sticking through him. He's very cleverly done. You got no inkling at this point. Who's you know? You think John Voight's been shot? But then John Voight actually falls on his arrow, doesn't he, at this point? That's what happens. Yeah, this is a bit I never understood, because yeah. I, I always had this weird thought, surely it's not the same arrow that he shoots him at, but that's very harrowing. I mean, you think about getting an arrow in your side like that. Pulling it through as well. I don't know how, how does he, but how would an arrow get in his side just from falling? I, I don't quite he, understand. The that. arrows were attached to the bow, weren't they? Yeah. So I'm, I don't know at what angle... He fell on it somehow, didn't he, in the panic, yeah. basically. It's gone through from the back to the front, hasn't it? Yes, it's gone from yeah. the back to the front. It's very well done, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it looks realistic, you know, and then he just pulls it through, and then you realise that, you know, his first shot actually hit home. Yeah. But then the panic sets in because he thinks he's killed an innocent man or, or the wrong man because this guy's got teeth, and he puts his fingers into his mouth yeah. and wobbles his dentures, and he's like, breathe so, a sigh of relief, and this guy actually is, like, toothless. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Just before that, as he was uh, climbing the mountain, mm. he loses the picture of his wife and child, which is sort of right, quite simple, right? Did it yeah. annoy you? It's that a bit too on the nose. Or... It just annoyed me, the fact that, you know, you're in a life-and-death situation. All right, you're, mm. you're thinking of your wife and kids, and you're going to be a mm. bit sentimental and all that sort of stuff. But, mate, you, you, you're halfway up a bloody great big cliff face here. Don't get your wallet out. You, you know you're going to drop it. And he did, you know. So he just took, yeah, so he just took the picture out just to have a look at it, did he? I think he just flipped it open to where the photo was. Mm. And, of course, yeah, there you go. Off it goes, you know. Yeah, maybe it's a bit on the nose, isn't it, perhaps? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, just highlighting the fact that he's a family man and... Mm. You know, um, he, he wants guess, to get home, and if he doesn't kill whoever's at the top of this mountain, he will never see them again. So he's taking one last look at the photo, possibly. You know? Yeah, thinking about it, probably don't, didn't really need that, did we? You know, we we already get we, the idea. We brilliant. Job's done, you know. So they make the way. He makes his way back, and uh, Burt Reynolds' legs all strapped up with an oar at this point, isn't it? I think he's got some great big splint in the shape of an oar. Mm. Um, one of the canoes is split in half. There's still no sign of Ronnie Cox at this point, is there? Because the body hasn't appeared yet, has it? No, they drift down the river, don't they? And they find him. They, they're basically they on their way back and they find yeah. him. This was the bit as well. They weight the body down, don't they? To Yeah. 
to hide the evidence and they're not this is the bit that always confused me because towards the end there's obviously witnesses that says there were four people mm. your mind's sort of thinking how are they going to get out of this yeah and also what the hell are they going to tell ronnie cox's family you know i know, I know. <laughs> That's the sort of great unknown about it. Yeah. Mm. There's a good bit where um, they weigh down the body and then John Voigt falls and he gets entangled in the body. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. He sort of literally falls into the body, which was pretty horrible. Yeah, they find Drew and then they have this kind of almost like a ceremony. You know, he says he promises mm. to look after his kids and stuff. Yeah. So maybe Roddy Cox is religious or, you know, good Christian or something. I don't know. But they do that. They find him. Then we get this thing, as we said, with the arm behind the neck. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? And then they go down the river and then they find to their surprise that the cars, the, the, the mountain, not the mountain men, the, the Griner brothers the have Griders. actually delivered their cars, haven't they? So they're in Aintree. This is Aintree. Yeah, nothing to do with the Grand National. Which and, is and this, a, no, and this is the point. <laughs> uh, this is the point where the people that are waiting over the cars are a family. Yes. waiting to leave the area because you can see like the church is on the train yes. they're in the back of sitting in armchairs in the back of their pickup truck with all their worldly goods surrounding them yeah and there are the two cars are, are sitting there an ambulance gets called for burt reynolds ned Beatty, john voy end up in this hotel yeah, sort of having dinner, aren't they? Yeah, the Colonial Hotel or something, I think it's called, or a Colonial yeah. Guest House or something. Yeah. Surrounded by non-actors who are amazing. Yeah. I think that just adds to, obviously adds to the realism of the whole situation. Yeah. But you could tell that there was a lot of this stuff that was ad-libbed. The woman that's talking about this 12-inch cucumber that's ten and a half inches round or something, literally yeah. randomly talking about it. Yeah. Um, would you like some corn? You know, have, 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 you know, they're passing things around. And and Ned Beatty, after John Voigt breaks down at the table, mm. breaks the tension with just, well, he says something about the corn, doesn't he? The oh, corn it's, sure it's is good. line, yeah, great yeah. corn or something. Yeah. Yeah. Bang, the whole conversation starts up again, easing yeah, the pressure yeah. that John Voigt's under. And then panic sets in, you know, because he thinks that Ned Beatty may have said the wrong thing, but... James Dickey as the sheriff is getting a bit pushy and asking the right questions, as it were. Mm. You know, and again, this is where the suspense and the tension kicks in again, just when you thought things were over. Yeah, so the stuff kicks in again. But again, it's morphed because now it's a sort of uh, people trying to get away with a crime, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of this. Now, I've got a couple of notes. It's really interesting. Did you notice um, they have to borrow some clothes? John Voigt and Ned Beatty are in the same Ooh. shirt. Did you notice that? And the idea from the director is that they're kind of in the same boat. You know, they're, they're now the same because they're both Ooh. basically criminals. Oh. And, and I, I like that because it's not, again, it's not on the nose. It's not someone saying, oh, you're wearing the same shirt. You know, that's that's probably what they would do now, isn't it? You know, they'd yeah. think, oh, the audience are too stupid to work that out. So we'll, we'll have to explain <laughs> it to them. And the other note was that I think, I think um, John Voigt breaks down partly, obviously, from stress. But I think yeah. it's to do with this, the basic decency of these people, you know. They're just nice yeah. people, you know. Uh, and they're unaware of the hell he's actually been, what he has actually done. Yeah. These are God-fearing people. They're yeah. sitting, sitting at the same table with a murderer, basically. Yeah. Yeah, you Again. can see that. You can see that. You know they're God-fearing people. They're taking their church with them on a trailer, for God's sake. Yeah, okay, that's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? That's, that was fantastic when I saw that. 
I'm quite but, happy to spoil the ending at this point as well because it is a 50-year-old movie and we have reviewed yeah. it before, so don't don't Go shy away it, from talking about the ending, mate. Yeah. Um, well, the bit we haven't mentioned, if you don't mind, we haven't actually mentioned uh, one of the. Well, I think we have mentioned it, but the main one of the big themes of this film mm-hmm. is, of course, as we said about the river being dammed, yes. and I didn't really. I've never really thought much about river damming, but the idea is that it's producing the electricity, which mm-hmm. is going to power their nice air-conditioned offices in the city. That's what they say, doesn't it? That is the line about the. Do air they actually say that? Yeah. There's a line about the air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but then there, here's another sort of layer to that: is that as the rivers flooding, it's actually helping them get away with the crime because obviously the body is less likely to be discovered. Yeah. As the river gets more and more flooded, so there's so yeah. many layers to this thing. They kind of get their story together. They go and visit Burt Reynolds in hospital and he gives them a wink to say, that don't, brilliant. don't yeah. worry, mate, you know, um, I, I understand what's going on. But oh, it's interesting it. also that John Voigt, is, as well as being traumatised, he's quite hardened because I think James Dickey's brilliant. Like the way mm. he goes, don't come back here again. Don't do anything like this again. He's got that really, like, penetrating look in his eye it's but almost John, as if he knows it's almost as if he, he i know what you did i, I think i think prove it no i think they i think he's twigged like not the whole story. yeah i think he knows yeah yeah i know what you did i just can't prove it and, mm. and i've and i've literally got 24 hours 48 hours or whatever before all evidence is gonna go you know there's, there's there's no way you know you guys have got the better of me basically and i hate you for it and yeah. the, the hatred is there in his face but this is the whole thing I've forgotten about this. I knew this film really well, but it's as we talked before. When you're doing a podcast, you look at it with a, with a you know, a different eye, critical eye, yeah, and you look a bit closer. And so you've got this whole sort of environmental thing going on. And then um, the sheriff says, I'd, I'd like to see this town die peaceful. You yeah. see the flooding river. And then um, Bobby says as well, I don't think I'll see you for a while. It's like, uh, you know, I've been through this thing, but I, I don't think I'm going to see you because I don't want to be reminded of it, you know? I need to reset a bit. I need to get away from all of this. And it's, it's quite cool because they're in the taxi and you can see the empty houses that have been abandoned and the town that was there previously. Absolutely. Uh, and, and they're getting away from from death all around. You know, the whole, the whole town is dying, not literally the death that they witnessed or caused. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, we could go as deep into this as you want, mate. But there's layers. Yeah. I think we've done we've done our job, haven't we? I think we have. I mean, it's a 50 year old movie, and mm. it still appeared as fresh to me as if it were five years old watching this last night. It's, yeah. And and the amount of times I've seen it, I was sort of going into it thinking, well, oh, do I need to watch this again? Yes, I do, and I'm glad I mm. bloody did. A fascinating, amazing movie, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. The final scene. Yeah. Spoil it. Why not? Go and watch it, folks, and then come back. <laughs> um, so he awakens from a nightmare, and we see this, obviously, this hand. They did some. I can't remember what they did. They did something to the hand to show that it had been down there a long time. Yeah, or, it was look, look plastic almost. Yeah, it? something like that. I like the fact that, you know, he wakes up from that dream, mm. you know, that nightmare, and then goes back to sleep. And then after all that's finished, it then goes back to the same scene of the river, Right. Mm. This is this is what I noticed for the first time after 40 years of watching this film, and it shows the same scene at the same point of the river, but no hand comes up. Yes. And to me, that just indicates they got away with it. Ah, very good. Yes. That's good how probably. I interpreted that. He's having a nightmare that his hand's going to come up, and it's all going to be like revealed that they were the ones that killed blah blah blah. 
but then in reality it goes to the river in real time in real life and there's nothing it's just a calm river mm. they've got away with it that's how i interpreted the final sort of uh, that's very good yeah because they're giving you a hint but they're not giving it away no yeah and of course uh carrie dare we say yeah it, it was carrie ripped it off two what years happens ago. in what happens in carrie is it the hand as well or is it yeah basically uh piper laurie the mother Correct gets killed by carrie of all the knives and that that go flying towards yes, her. She gets yes. the wall. and then the house collapses in Carrie mm-hmm. and the mother gets buried underneath it and then the end scene I think she's actually buried and there's the gravestone and Carrie goes to the grave and mother's hand comes up through the dirt mm. oh is it mother's hand oh it's not Carrie's Carrie's or is it Carrie's no it's the yeah it's the one it's one of the schoolmates goes to Carrie don't they to Carrie's grave or, or is it the mother it's Carrie oh I haven't seen that we'll, <laughs> let, the, we'll let the listeners nah we'll let the listeners work that out come on it's we James Dickey's hand enough. James Dickey's hand comes out of the dirt <laughs> I don't know it's <laughs> I forget, we find out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Roddy Cox's double jointed that shoulder blade pops out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's man deliverance. Runs, sorry, man runs to internet to, uh, save on, his, uh, to save his film reputation. Go on. Him and his co or his host. <laughs> oh, my my reputation was shot years ago. Oh, it? No, no worries about that. Yeah. Ah, yes. Sue, the only survivor of the prom. Yeah, I has a nightmare. Oh yes, of course, uh, it's, it's not real. She goes to lay flowers on the charred remains of Carrie's home. Yeah, yeah. And there's a sign vandalizing black paint with the words "Carrie White Burns in Hell." Carrie's bloody arm. That's it. Reaches. Um, so, that, so they, they've obviously extended the idea. You got the whole arm <laughs> bloodied and actually, you know, grabs her. Yeah. So no, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. If you're gonna be inspired by something at least extend it a little bit so they've done that yeah. Yeah, it's not a straight copy so yeah I, but i think that the the deliberate part of borman filming the river again yes. dead quiet after boy has gone back to sleep and settled down indicates that they got away with it. there is no hand there is no body yeah i love that 300 feet of water has buried all the evidence as, as burt reynolds suggested oh, i love it i never thought of that that's great Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's Deliverance from 1972. <laughs> do you think that... we went into enough detail? We need another hour. Or... We'll, no. we'll, we'll come back after the break and do a little bit. We'll come back after the break. We'll give you an alternative. <laughs> Carry on Deliverance. Yes. Carry on Deliverance. Now, we're going to stick with the 70s because I know where we're going. Yes. Uh, Anthony's going to come back and continue our 10-year celebrations because this is going on right through to December, we've decided. Let's take a short break. We'll be back after this. Well, let's get our heads together. Come on, Al, let's not do anything foolish. Anybody know anything about the law? No. Look, I, I was on jury duty once. It wasn't a murder trial. Murder trial. Well, I don't know the technical word for it, Drew. But I know this. You take this man down out of the mountains and turn him over to the sheriff, there's going to be a trial, all right. A trial by jury. So what? We killed a man, Drew. Shot him in the back. A mountain man. A cracker. It gives us something to consider. 
All right. Consider it. We're listening. Shit, all these people are related. But goddamn, if I want to come back up here and stand trial with this man's aunt and his uncle, maybe his mom and his daddy sitting in the jury box. What do you think, Bobby? How about you, Ed? I don't know. I really don't know. Now, you listen, Lewis. I don't know what you got in mind. But if you try to conceal this body, you're setting yourself up for a murder charge. Now, that much law, I do know. This ain't one of your fucking games. You killed somebody. There he is. I see him, Drew. That's right, I killed somebody. But you're wrong if you don't see this as a game. Lewis. Are you listening, Ed? Damn it, we can get out of this thing without any questions asked. We get connected up with that body and the law. This thing's going to be hanging over us the rest of our lives. We got to get rid of that guy. Just how are you going to do that, Lewis? Where? Anywhere. Everywhere. Nowhere. How do you know that other guy hasn't already gone for the police? Well, what in the hell is he going to tell him, Drew? What he did to Bobby? Why couldn't he go get some other mountain men? Now, why isn't he going to do that? You look around, you, Lewis. He could be out there anywhere watching us right now. We ain't going to be so goddamn hard to follow dragging a corpse. You let me worry about that, Drew. You let me take care of that. You know what's going to be here? Right here? A lake. As far as you can see, hundreds of feet deep, hundreds of feet deep. Did you ever look out over a lake? Think about something buried underneath it? Buried underneath it. Man, that's about as buried as you can get. Well, I'm telling you, Lewis, I don't want any part of it. Well, you are part of it. It is a matter of the law. The law? <laughs> the law? What law? Where's the law, Drew? Huh? You believe in democracy, don't you? Yes, I do. Well, then we'll take a vote. I'll stand by. And so will you. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film.
So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Okay, as we said, that was Deliverance 1972. Now, Anthony has very kindly agreed to come back to help celebrate our 10th anniversary with another re-review of a movie that, again, I think we reviewed very early on, mate, back in, like, our first year. And it is the first movie that Paul, who's my current co-host, was part of. He, he selected this as his choice back in the day. Mm. We're jumping ahead two years, mate. What are we watching? This is obviously in the same era, but I, I definitely I don't think there's any Easy Riders Raging Bulls necessarily going on here. Although you never know when we get there. Who knows? We um, yeah. As you know, apart from uh, you know Brando, De Niro, the usual people, one of my uh, acting heroes is Robert Shaw. Yes. Uh, from Jaws and The Sting, etc. From Russia with Love, etc. Um, this is the Taking of Pelham One Two Three from 1974. Now, as you know, I do like me a heist movie. Oh yes. Um, so I remember watching this probably about 14, 15. Robert mm-hmm. Shaw heist film. I'm there. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I, and I, I think it really delivers. And if you want to know how good this film is, then watch the watch the remake. And then. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to do but uh yeah it's a it's a heist film it's set on the new york uh subway they hijack a subway train which sounds ridiculous but yeah it's they kind of threw a very good script and uh, walter Matthau's in there and a very good supporting cast who are not really particularly famous you got martin balsam haven't you i think oh, sorry, uh, i forgot yeah i wasn't yeah, thinking yeah. hector elizondo's in there some um yes. ben stiller's dad jerry stiller's there there's a guy called nathan george Hmm. Um, Patrolman James. Uh, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Nathan George. When we originally did the Hall of Fame on the Stinking Paws, we did the Hall of Fame originally in the first year or so. Hmm. Nathan George was one of the very first people to be inducted hmm. because he was in Cuckoo's Nest, Clute, Serpico, all of those big movies he appeared in, hmm. and he just kept cropping up and kept cropping up. And we were like, who is this man? You know, and he's brilliant. It was actually brilliant. Nathan George, like one of those unknowns, like in the Real Britannia, we've always said, became one of you, the very first inductees. I'll tell you who else is in there. Who who played, um, uh, who's the guy in Live and Let Die with, who had his arm taken by a crocodile? Is it Julius Harris? Yeah. Is he he's in it? in it. Yes, he's in it. Yeah. There he is, Inspector Daniels. There he Inspector is. Inspector Daniels, yeah. that's it. You know what other movie Joseph Sargent directed as well, don't you? Oh, no, I don't. Jaws the Revenge. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> I don't think I can do this review anymore. No, um, no, no we'll it just it. Makes, it makes we'll call it, it a more, moment of weakness. Yes. No, it makes it even more interesting the fact that he's come up with this amazing piece of like cinema. It is brilliant. This actually places. I was saying, Deliverance is number eleven on my flick chart. This is about number four. It's wow. a little. I mean, it's a little bit hot overhead. I wouldn't say it's the fourth best film I've ever seen, but it's very yeah. good. It's very taut. It's got a great soundtrack. There's some brilliant, brilliant sort of New York cynicism. Yeah, it's uh, that height of those New York cop movies. It's a yeah. great influence on Tarantino and especially Reservoir Dogs with the naming of the characters. You know, that was directly lifted from this movie. Yeah. You love a heist movie. It is mm. very cleverly done. The payoff for me, obviously, we're not going to say now, but the payoff when it gets there. 
the way it ends is just brilliant and absolutely yeah there's a couple of lines i remember just a little teaser uh, Walter Battelle says, I've, I've figured out what you're going to do. And Robert Shaw says, uh, yeah, I'd like to know. You're going to make every man, woman and child in New York close their eyes and count to 100. Because they're, they're wondering how they're going to get out. Because obviously yeah. the big problem with hijacking a subway. And the other one was, um, who did you say was Ben Stiller's dad? Does he? Jerry Stiller is Lieutenant Patron. Patron, that's it. He says, uh, oh, I figured out what you're going to do. You're going to fly the you're going to fly the train to Cuba, because <laughs> this is the this is the era of people hijacking planes. Hijacking, and, like, yeah. So there's some brilliant like cynicism in it, and Walter Matthau is brilliantly kind of deadpan, but then towards the end he's quite serious. And, oh, there's even comedic elements because you've got the Japanese businessman being given the guided tour of the subway control oh, room and all God, of that yeah, like, yeah. all of that going on and, and yeah. there's a heist you know that is going on right under their noses so yeah. i'm looking forward to seeing this one again mate I yeah me too yeah. I'm, i'll see if paul's free as well because paul as i say it's one of his favorite films and i'm sure he'd like to chat about it as well absolutely right so that's just about it for another episode before we go mm. Rattle off those three podcasts for us, mate. <laughs> we were saying before, the hundredth time you introduce your podcast, you don't do the big build-up anymore. But uh, yeah, Film Gold, uh, we did a joint thing with, with Michael Caine. So this is kind of a joint presentation that you're... Yes, yeah, yes. It's your baby, really. Um, Film Gold, yes. Glass Onion on John Lennon is a deep dive into John Lennon. Uh, some of the guests we've had, we've had Scott Phipps, we've mm. had a couple of the Quarrymen, then we had Scott Phipps, and then we had... <laughs> Uh, who's that bloke who's in 2001 he yeah, took the was... bone in the air and then we had Scott Phipps and then I had Scott Phipps as well so um, yes how many times have you been on it that many times no you have yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay then perhaps I have officially four <laughs> but let's say ten okay um, but they're two parters, so you know they count twice. Oh right, yeah. No, it's um, uh, you and I. We've done various ones. We looked at 1969, and, and mm. I think maybe the the gimmick. I don't like that word, but mm. the selling point of the show is that it's not just oh, let's rank the tracks from Imagine. Yeah. No offense to the other ones. Um, we look at a year, so we we did a you know a whole episode of 1969, and then we looked at Lennon and the Beatles. So, yeah. and then the other one is Life and Life Only, which is. Um, basically it's a search for inner and outer truth it's a podcast about life so there's no shortage of material because <laughs> i had the john Lennon one for a couple of years i'm thinking i'm sure to run out of material eventually the guy only lived to 40 unfortunately so i thought i'll do a podcast about life yeah it's sort of uh, psychology and a little bit of alternative media so yeah I recommend all three of those thank you wholeheartedly and thank you very much for doing this because it's been really good I've loved it I know you've been itching mm. to do this and to try and find mm-hmm. an excuse to do it and obviously the 10th birthday mm. we're doing re-reviews so yeah come on let's do it and Pelham is going to be another great one it is yeah especially if Paul's there as well so. yeah it'd be nice to to get a, a third voice chipping in and, 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 and equally somebody who loves it equally if not more than you so mm. Brilliant. We'll be doing that in a couple of months' time. Mm. That's it from the Stinking Paws podcast. Anthony, thank you so much, my friend. I will see you very soon. Take care. Thank you very much. The management of this theatre suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending. Infernal jamboree is worse than two cats on a fence!
You dudes get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night, sir. When you fail down, try positive thinking. That's what I told the man said. Don't wear a frown. Try positive thinking. Laugh at your troubles instead. You've got to look on the bright side. On hope so much depends. With your confidence sinking, positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend. When things look black, try positive thinking. Treat every season as spring. No glancing back. Try positive thinking. Trust what tomorrow may bring. This crazy world that we live in will keep on spinning round. But with good, strong, positive thinking, we'll get together and life won't let us down. Shut up, you ugly bitch. Oh, shut up. We enjoy it.